Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, January 19th, 2024. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. On Wednesday, Andrew, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a lower court decision that blocked key provisions of HB 900, the Texas Controversial Book Rating Law. The court found that the law likely violated First Amendment protections against compelled speech. Yes, so this was a highly anticipated ruling, and as you say, a three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit decided to uphold a lower court's August 31st decision to block the controversial book rating law. And I'll just say right up front that while the legal arguments against this law, which was known as HB 900 or the Reader Act, while these arguments appear to almost every lawyer I spoke to along the way to be a slam dunk that this law was not going to be constitutional, no one was really sure how the Fifth Circuit was going to rule on this case because it is considered to be one of the most conservative courts in the nation. So good news for freedom to read advocates out of Texas this week is HB 900 was probably the most high-profile legal challenge in the country in terms of all these new state book banning laws that emerged in 2023. Now, as a refresher, HB 900 was signed by Texas Governor Greg Abbott on June 12th of 2023. It is the first of its kind law in the nation. It would have required book vendors to review literally every book sold to Texas schools. This is both new books and books that have been that were previously sold. And then to rate these books for sexual content under what are some pretty vague standards. Under the law, books rated sexually explicit, these would be books with material deemed patently offensive by these unspecified community standards. These books would be banned entirely from public schools. And books rated sexually relevant, these would be books with any representation of sexual conduct would require parental permission for students to access them. And what's most troubling about the law is that it gave the state the unchecked power to change the vendor ratings on any book and then to bar vendors that did not accept and present the state's ratings as their own uh, so they could sell books to Texas schools. The lawsuit challenging HB 900 was filed in July. Uh, it was filed by a coalition of two Texas bookstores who are our people of the year, Publishers Weekly this year. That's Book People and CEO Charlie Rasick and Houston's Blue Willow Bookshop and its owner Valerie Curler, along with the American Booksellers Association, the AAP, the Authors Guild, and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. In August, our listeners will remember, Judge Alan D. Albright orally enjoined the law and in September issued a really forceful 59-page written opinion and order blocking the law, but that's where things started to get a little weird. Uh, the state immediately appealed Albright's decision, and in a legal twist, a separate motions panel of the Fifth Circuit on September 25th issued an administrative stay on Albright's injunction. That is, a stay that's not based at all on the merits of the case. And that stay actually allowed the law to take effect pending further action by the appeals court, despite the law being found unconstitutional. But with this decision uh, on Wednesday of this week, that stay is now finally lifted and the law is blocked. In a joint statement, the plaintiffs called the decision historic, while the law's author, State Representative Jared Patterson, urged the state to appeal the decision to the Supreme Court, which I have to say is pretty surely a dead end. Uh, but for now, the law is blocked. The litigation continues. Uh, but with this ruling by the Fifth Circuit, I think the outcome is all but certain. HB 900, Texas's controversial book rating law, is unconstitutional. 
You've reported extensively on the case for PWN for this program, Andrew. What's your assessment of the legal arguments in the decision? It's a very interesting decision in a few respects. Uh, for one, I'll point out that in a nod to how weak I think the legal case really was for HB 900, lawyers for the state had pinned their case on some legal technicalities, right? They had argued, for example, that the plaintiffs lacked standing, that the case was not ripe, uh, and that the plaintiffs' claims were barred by sovereign immunity. The court didn't even really need to get to the constitutional issues because the case was so infirm. That was their main argument. And what's interesting is that the lower court easily handled those questions. And at oral argument in front of the appeals court, the appeals court didn't ask a single question on those very straightforward legal questions. And thus, as expected, they easily dispatched with those questions in their opinion. So right there, before we even get to any of the constitutional issues, the case was pretty much lost for the state. But here's what I also found notable. The plaintiffs made a number of very strong arguments as to why this law is unconstitutional in their briefs. But because this case was only being reviewed on a pretty narrow basis, the question being whether the lower court's injunction was proper, the appeals court only made it to the first of these constitutional arguments, uh, that the book ratings do in fact amount to compelled speech. Uh, And because the plaintiffs were likely to succeed on the merits of that claim, the court ruled that's enough. Uh, We don't have to go any further here. That merits the preliminary injunction. So they didn't even bother to consider the other arguments, uh, such as whether the law is a prior restraint or is unconstitutionally vague. More specifically, the court had no trouble rejecting the state's, I'll say, a pretty ridiculous argument that these mandatory book ratings were informational. They were like nutrition labels, right? The state had argued that they were like movie ratings or warning labels on cigarettes or nutrition labels. In fact, uh, the ratings would be highly discretionary, the court found, and said that it would involve weighing and balancing many factors to determine a rating for each book In addition, the court also accepted arguments by the plaintiff booksellers that the law would cause them irreparable economic harm. Even if the bookstores could pass along some of the costs of compliance to their customers, uh, one of the plaintiffs here, Blue Willow Bookstore, alleged that the compliance costs alone would threaten the very existence of their business. And recovering a small amount of those costs was not going to resurrect Blue Willow if those costs were going to drive it out of business, the court observed, which I think is a very meaningful finding. And one last note. This is three for three in terms of these book banning laws. That's Arkansas, Iowa, and now Texas, which have all been found unconstitutional. I have to say that's not a surprise. These are terrible laws. But I think this winning streak really speaks more to the you know sort of awful political nature of these efforts in the first place than it does to uh, the strength of the legal arguments. The Association of American Publishers is among those supporting Fairly Trained, a newly launched nonprofit organization that aims to certify fair training data use in generative AI. Yeah, an interesting effort, I think. Uh, The group is offering what it calls a licensed model certification, which in a blog post the group explained would be awarded to, you know, sort of like a good housekeeping seal of approval to any generative AI model that doesn't use copyrighted works without a license in training its systems. Now, those licenses can be varied, the group said, but they specified that the designation will not be awarded to any model that relies on a fair use copyright exception or some similar exception. Uh, the group said basically that you know using fair use is an indicator that rights holders haven't given consent for their works to be used in AI training. Of course, the launch of Fairly Trained comes amid a spate of lawsuits filed by creators against AI companies, uh, most notably against OpenAI and Meta. 
these lawsuits allege that the major AI companies' use of copyrighted works without permission or payment for AI training constitutes copyright infringement. Uh, it also comes as a number of other organizations, including media giants like the Associated Press and Axel Springer, have struck licensing deals with these AI companies and with others uh, like Reuters, for example, reportedly in talks over the same. Fairly Trained launched with nine generative AI companies already certified, according to the Post. Uh, you can check out the Publishers Weekly story. We list those companies. Uh, it's on the website now. We'll just have to keep an eye on this and see how it develops. But I think it's another proactive effort by creators and content owners to push their message that AI companies should not be using copyrighted works to train their systems without permission. And finally this week, Andrew, after Atria, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, sponsored a TikTok influencer to take a cruise to Antarctica, the internet had some questions. Have you got any answers? <laughs> so this was a story that was all over the major media. It was pretty entertaining. And it started after Royal Caribbean announced Serenade of the Seas. This was a nine-month ultimate world cruise that was going to visit 65 countries and all seven continents. That ship set sail on December 10th, and a lot of TikTok users became obsessed with its voyage, including a TikToker named Mark Sebastian, who's a model and influencer with about 1.6 million followers. And on December 20th, Mark Sebastian posted a video about his desperation to get on the ship. Put me on the cruise and I'll go, he said. And if you pay for one section of it, I will cause chaos. <laughs> that plea garnered about 7.5 million views. And a week later, at the end of December, Sebastian informed his followers that a very unexpected and cool brand was going to sponsor him for 18 nights and that he'd be going to Antarctica. And that sponsor was Atria Books. The rub here is that Sebastian, admittedly, is not a reader. But for the next few weeks, there he was on TikTok, sitting next to a stack of Atria Books, among them Frederick Backman's Anxious People and Lisa Jewell's None of This is True. Now, the sponsorship sort of upset some book talk users, and that's, the, of course, TikTok's bookish community. Uh, why should Mark Sebastian, who by his own admission doesn't even like to read, get to take this amazing vacation on the publisher's dime? And I think the answer to that question may be in the comments. And you know, if you read a few of them, and we outline them in our story on PW, which, which you can read uh, on the website, to be fair, I didn't know Atria Books existed, one commenter noted. I literally looked into Atria Books because of you, another commenter noted. And another said that they also had never heard of Atria Books, but now they have respect for them. So something must be working. Anyway, it's a really fun story. Uh, like I said, it's on the PW site now. You can read it. My colleague, Sophia Stewart, wrote it up. It's got some great uh, numbers in there from TikTok. And I think ultimately it's hard to measure if and how Atria's investment, which was reportedly around $8,000 for this 18-day trip, is really paying off financially, at least at this point. But it has definitely brought the publisher some quantifiable visibility with millions of views. And, you know, whether or not TikTok users previously knew the name Atria, Atria has been a pretty dominant presence on the bestseller list in recent years, thanks in no small part to the platform. Five of Atria's books were among the top 20 overall bestselling books of 2023, including three by TikToker Colleen Hoover. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me today from New York City and not from Antarctica, I will point out. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, as always. 
Coming up on CCC's podcast, Gen Z and Millennials, How They Use Libraries and Identify Through Media Use, a new report from the American Library Association, details where and how American young people read books and consume media. If you think that libraries are just for books and that kids today care only about digital media, then report co-author Dr. Kathy Inman Behrens wants to set you straight. Gen Z in particular likes printed books. It's their number one format. And public libraries are showrooms for printed books. It makes sense that Gen Zs and millennials feel at home at libraries. Libraries are places where we observed young people moving seamlessly between engagement with their phones and then with other people in the library and the library collections around them. Perhaps the hallmark of Gen Zs and millennials' media use is that they are media omnivorous and context agnostic. They'll find a story they like in one setting and pursue it across media. Gen Z loves books. Next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to Velocity of Content wherever you go for podcasts and don't miss an episode of the show. The CCC podcast is also available on the CCC YouTube channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for joining me. Mm -hmm.